In this week's guest podcast of the week, Jamesy interviews author Donald Nicholson about his book, For a Chance to Forget. Let's, let's get to the book then. Um, for a Chance to Forget, something that a lot of us would like to do <laughs> in yes. many situations. Well, that was an apt title that I went. It's not something that I just suddenly threw out over the yeah. course of a weekend um, during the pandemic, not at all. Um, it's, it's something that I've been working on for many years before it even saw the light of day. Um, so I, I don't know if it would help you if, if I shared my, my story about how I came to, to write it. Would that yeah. be? Yeah, that'd be good. Yeah, so obviously for people that know, people who've read it, it's it's a book set, it's a novel set in Netherlands, the Netherlands. And it's a place that I know dearly having travelled to about I think between 2001 and 2011, I must have travelled to it about um, 20 odd times or something like that, which would probably get some people thinking that I was a courier of some sort. <laughs> Not at all. Um, maybe I shouldn't have done that, would have made more money, but no, no, no. Um, I first went there, obviously, because I'd, I'd met someone and there was a, a long-distance relationship, mm-hmm. but... Back in 2004, when that ended and I was changing jobs and lots of other things, I um, I just thought, well, what the hell? I want to have a weekend break. I've been slogging out for the last nine months. It's been really difficult. I just need a break before I start my new um, post, which was an awful one down in England. And I... Just thought, well, what the hell for the hell, but let's let's go back to the Netherlands. First time going there and not meeting up with anyone in particular. And I went along there and it was a Friday evening, about half by six o'clock. All the offices were closing, all the shops were closing, so the shoppers of the day were leaving um, Utrecht, the Outerkracht. The, that's the the main the main canal in in the centre of the city, and um, which has bars, restaurants, and shops um, lined around it. So it was a bit quieter, um, but it was a lovely balmy summer summer's evening, and I just found myself in a moment um, where I thought, do you know what? I, I, I love this place more than I loved her. Um, this isn't going to be um, going out to the Netherlands by any chance, is it? No, unless somebody picks it up on the internet, no. All right. <laughs> I mean, um, it's, it's a podcast, so, it, you know, I mean, it will be broadcast on the radio, but then it goes up no. on yeah, a podcasting site. Yeah. yeah. Um, ask, my, ask my mother-in-law from Italy, and now knows um, I, I was joking. Um, one of the things that I... That I had to learn when I first um, started living with my mother-in-law was to be able to say I'm joking in Italian so that she wasn't confused. Um, <laughs> Oscar Sando is, um, I, I was actually joking about that. It's okay if the podcast goes to <laughs> once or whatever, but I digress. Anyway, so where was that? Oh yeah, Utrecht. So I, I found myself in that moment 
And I think it was at that moment in 2004 where I really first started to appreciate the city um, of the church itself, because before then it had always just been a backdrop. Mm. And that moment I, I was able to, I was free to indulge, go where I wanted, learn about the place, the history, the culture. And, and that was what really got me started. So one of the things that I've always done um, as a traveller is to, to carry a travelogue, a little notebook that I would keep my notes in, my plans, mm. my perspective plans. And then on the other side, I would have um, I would have my reflections on what I'd seen, places I'd been to, what I'd ate, what I'd drank, what the weather was like, you know, all the yeah. stuff. And so I had, by that point, 2011, I had 10 years of that, all that material built up and more. And... I suppose it was round about that point where I started thinking, well, maybe I could write something about Utrecht at some point in time. And the mm-hmm. chance came for me in 2015 when um, I was very fortunate to write a travel article that got published in the Scotsman newspaper, which was about Utrecht. And the tag for that was that at the time Utrecht was the the international city starting point for the Tour de France. And months in advance, when I found out about that, I started sending around to various newspapers, got an idea of joint this article, and Scotsman said, OK, we'll run with it. So I did that, but it was obvious. So it, was, it was one page. Yeah. So it, there wasn't a, a lot of... Well, there was a lot that I managed to get in, basically the condensed highlights of the trick for anyone that would be interested in seeing it. But I had a lot of material on, on the cutting room floor and I tried to surreptitiously shoehorn that into a, a book that I wrote about academic conferences, but it never made it there again. Um, it fell onto the cutting room floor. So it was left lying around and I was basically saying, well, one, one of the things that I hate is to have writing that I've done, regardless of how old it is, that's not seen the light of day. It, if it's there, if it's, even if 99% of it's crap, there might be something in the 1% that's worth sharing with someone somewhere along the line. And I started digging around with that and had a few ideas on, well, maybe I could write a travel book in Utrecht. Um, going to be a bit of a short book, maybe. Um, and eventually, one day, I think it was on holiday, sitting at a sitting poolside in 2017, I think it was, that I suddenly came up with the idea, well, what if I was to write a novel? That would give me the freedom to basically write about anything I wanted to, and I could use all the material in Utrecht. Mm. Um, and th- that was where the, the idea for, for a chance to forget came from, um, quite simply. I was quite, I found it really interesting, um, the format that it was written in, you know, and, you know, like emails, texts, letters, that kind of thing. Was that a conscious decision to do it that way, or did it just kind of evolve? No, no, that, that was something that I identified very early on. It was 
it, it came to me, well, if I'm going to have the story based around a relationship and one that's a distance, then one of the things that's, that lies at the heart of any long distance or even short distance relationship is um, communications, be that spoken or written. So mm-hmm. how do I show that? And that gives me a way to to introduce the, the characters and motivations or points of view and allows me to develop their career arcs. Um, so that, that was... That was something that jumped out at me very quickly. And I just thought, well, if I'm going to do that, I might as well just go wild with it. Um, there's no one stopping me. It's This is what I want to do. So let's go for it. Yeah. I mean, it for me personally, I, I think it made it more interesting than if it was just a, a sort of straightforward, normal, you know, novel first chapter, second chapter, third chapter, you know, that sort of idea. It, it, it gave me much more of a, an insight to the individual characters, um, yeah. you know, Sani and uh, John. Um, and it made me think about, you know, if I was in that sort of position, you know, would I be doing the same kind of thing or would it be something that, you know, I would give up on quite quickly? Having that freedom to to use the, the email and the written letter and all the other forms of written communication. What I was trying to do was that the classic in literature, show, don't tell. So rather mm. than telling people, this is how they felt that day, this is what they said, blah, blah, blah. I thought, let's not even bother with that whatsoever. Let's just go for, this is what the person's thinking. This is what they're saying go for it, run with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I think, for me, I think it's a, a formula that certainly works in the context of this book. Um, I don't think I've ever read another book that's written the same way, so I can't, you know, gauge it against something else. Um, but I think I'd like to read more books that were written that way, if I'm being honest. I'm not going to promise you a sequel that's written like that. You don't, I'm not going to promise anyone a sequel. To, to be honest, I, I did originally think, well, it would be good to follow up afterwards. And at mm. the end of last year, I had a bit of free time and I jotted down some ideas. And I thought, okay, so we'll take it up. We'll, we'll skip 2004 to about 2019. And we'll just go to where we are at the end of 2019. And mm-hmm. this is going to be following them up. So there'll be a massive jump. And it'll be even more exciting. And um, we'll, we'll obviously add in a few um, of the current socio-cultural political elements. So I started noting down all the things that were happening in January of 2020. And I, I just had to give up. I went, this is... The world is changing week by yeah. week. If you think back to January of 2020, when Trump was Trump was calling on his cronies to um, move to the, the capital and everything yeah. else, and um, yeah, um, and obviously with the, the pandemic playing out the way that's playing out, I, I think we're it's it, for myself. 
I don't think I could write something at the moment that would be based on the, the current climate we're living in that would mm-hmm. that would really be able to capture a moment and put a full stop in it because things are just evolving week by week. Well, exactly. I mean, it, it, it's the, the sort of nature of the beast, as it were, you know, that we, we thought we had it beaten um, and they relaxed the rules and then all of a sudden they came back with a, you know, a fiercer attitude, if you like. Um, yeah. And it's just that, from my own personal point of view, I, I think that the, the Scottish government has got it right and that they're quite slow about, you know, opening things up. I completely understand the frustration that people get with it. But I always think to myself, it's better that we get this under proper control and don't lose any more people. Yeah, yeah. Um, But it is a concern that there's so many people, um, I think there's been about six or 7,000 in the last, three or four days mm-hmm. that contracted the, the virus that we know of. Um, and as I've been saying, it's because older people and people who are um, at risk have been um, fully vaccinated now and that the virus has to to survive. And that's what viruses want to do, to yeah. survive. It has to find someone else. And it looks for younger people um, who are perhaps a bit more carefree, less um, cautious when it comes to um, masking and everything Mm -hmm. else and um, socially distancing. And we we are probably seeing the variants and everything spreading through younger people. And that's going to keep it going. And Mm -hmm. so vaccination is not going to break the chain this year, possibly. Yeah. So, I mean, let's assume that, you know, they, they get it all sorted out. Um, would you, At that point, would you revisit the possibility of the sequel? Um, well, it all depends where I am um, in terms of space and time. Mm. Um, that I don't mean in a sort of um, 1967 hate Ashbury way, but more <laughs> in a do I have the do I have the physical space and do I have the the time to focus on it? Then mm-hmm. certainly it's, it's something that I would be interested in. Um, the way I, the way that I wrote the book, and I don't want to give away the game to anyone that's listening to this and hasn't read it. Um, should probably say that it's available on Amazon if anyone types in the name for a chance to forget. Mm-hmm. Um, that took years of practice, that was, that's my sales pitch, brilliant it was. Um, so, yeah, um, the way that I wrote it was to deliberately leave things slightly open at the end for following up at some point in time. And when I actually published it, I did... Well, there were two things when I published it. The first was that I sat in it basically for about six months um, from, I think I'd finished it around about November of 2019 and just let it lie until May of 
2020. And then I just started working on it again. Might even have been longer, maybe August or September. Um, and then just tidied up. But the thing that kept me going for a while with it was the, the ending. And I did have different endings um, that I was playing with. But I went for the, the one that I in particular chose, um, which I thought would be more impactful um, um, and one that allows me to, to take it on further in a sequel one day. One yeah. Yeah, I must admit, when I came to the end of the book, it, it felt quite natural for it to finish there. And therefore, if there wasn't ever going to be a follow-up, it's not something that would be known at the back of my mind, you know, what's what's happened afterwards. But by the same token, I could see how you had kind of left the door ajar, if you like, so that if you did go back, you know, it would. But it wouldn't, I'd, I, I kind of thought to myself that it wouldn't be something that would get taken up almost straight away, if you know what I mean. As you said earlier, I had this image in my own mind that it would probably be maybe a couple of years or something like that would have passed, you know, and the next book would take up the story again after that period. Yeah, um, obviously, and I'm, I'm not giving the game away, um, the, the, the advertising line that I have for the book is for a chance to forget the story of how two people in a nation changed over three years. Mm. And it's no secret who the two people are when people get to about page six or seven. Um, yeah. Although the, there's actually deliberately no um, page numbers in the book. Um, but the, the the nation part is, as they very quickly find out as well, the nation that changes is the Netherlands. Mm. And I think yeah. one of the things that I've tried to capture is how the Netherlands, in my opinion, changed from 2001 to 2004, um, although we could say that of any nation. Um, but I, I think there was there was definitely a, a sea change in the, in the Netherlands over that time. I did notice a change from when I first went there and was completely naive to the land back in 2001 mm. to um, how it was in 2004. Yeah. I must admit, I... I... I've been to the Netherlands a few times, um, admittedly predominantly to, to Amsterdam. Um, but after reading your book, I, I must admit, when I'm able to travel, I definitely think I'll go to Utrecht yeah. <laughs> just to, to see for it, you know, see it for myself. Because the, the picture that I built up in my mind through, you know, your descriptions of it um, made me think that it's probably better than, you know, going to Amsterdam in the sense that it's perhaps not as touristy. Yeah, yeah, a million times better. Um, the easiest way to describe it is, to anyone that's not been there, is imagine what, if someone hasn't been to Amsterdam or Utrecht, mm. I would say to them, imagine what you would hope Amsterdam to be like without the crowds, without the cliches. Yeah. And that's what you get with Utrecht. Mm. Um, it's, but as 
as I allude to in the book, it's it's not just obviously with Utrecht there's the you, the the two main things that you cannot miss are Jodekracht, which is the the main canal going through running through the centre of the city, um, and obviously the Netherlands is a land of um, canals. That's that's how it that's how it um, exists in this um, water world. But the other thing is the Dome Tour and Domkirk, and that's the cathedral that was built in oh, 1200s or something, and the tower that was attached to it, but they got um, in 1674, I think it was, they were detached by a hurricane, and they just decided to leave it at that. They didn't bother um, putting them back together, and that's that's something that actually works really well. Um, you, you wouldn't notice if if you didn't know that story. You would think, yeah, here's, here's a tower that just happens to be beside a cathedral, but mm-hmm. they're both wonderful, and there's so many great churches mm-hmm. in and around the centre of Utrecht that um, are worth anyone um, taking. A moment of the time to to look at and enjoy. Mm-hmm. And was the I might have picked this up wrong. I don't know. Is the book a, a little bit autobiographical? You know, in as much as you have experience of you know going to Utrecht and what have you. Well, if we want to be really um, really concrete and say, is this book based on my travels? Then of course it is because I travelled to Utrecht and I know the centre of the city, mm. etc., etc. And that's where it stops. People have asked me, well, is it, is it about you? Are you John? No. <laughs> no I've never worked in um, journalism. Um, don't know the first thing about it. Um, probably wouldn't be any good at it either. Um, is Sani someone that you met? No. Um, however, it, it does help that I've that I've been there so many times that I, I did get a handle on the city, the culture, the people, yeah. and, and that helped me to to um, develop it and write it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. The only reason I asked the question is that I've read another series of books by another author, um, and. It is pretty much, you know, semi-autobiographical. Um, mm-hmm. The main character in it is him, um, mm-hmm. and is now his wife. Um, but obviously, he's changed, you know, certain other bits and pieces of information um, because, you know, we're talking about real people, so you can't always name names, as it were, you know. Um, but obviously, the, the kind of historical facts you know that are around about at the time when he was writing these books um are all accurate you know mm-hmm. but i picked up quite quickly with that book within book one of that series that you know this was based you know albeit kind of loosely on on the author so when i had read your book i had that sort of question in my mind i wasn't sure you know if i was seeing the same thing or if i was 
making myself see the same thing because of the previous books that I'd read. <laughs> so I had to ask that question. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's a question I get all the time. Um, but honestly, um, I, as I said, when I, when I came up with the idea that I could write a novel, or at least I thought I could write a novel, um, I just thought, right, let's run with it. These characters are going to be blah, blah, blah. And it started off on paper as one thing, and it just evolved. And I was just letting my imagination run with me. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, John works in journalism. And one of the things that inspired me to follow that route was... Um, the Levison inquiry and all the things that have gone on there. So I yeah. thought, well, he might have been involved in something that was going on around about that time that eventually got picked up. And um, we could maybe build that into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think we, well, a lot of people, I think, are quite cynical about journalists. You know, that they're all quite, yeah, unprincipled people, and obviously yeah. that's not that's not going to be true. You know, it's like any other walk of life. There'll be people who are like that, and there'll be people who are very principled. Yeah. Um, so when I was when you know when I started to read the book, and he was a journalist and all the rest of it, I was starting to think to myself, "Oh God, are we going to get down this route? Where he turns out to be a proper B, you know, or what's going yeah. to happen?" And then it, it doesn't work out that way, and actually made me feel better about the character. Um, you know, that it, that it didn't go down that route, that he didn't turn it to be, you know, grabbing everything that he could get a hold of. Yeah. Yeah, well, he was a very principled um, character. Um, his editor and others were not, and that was already to in places, and it was something I was thinking, well, if I was to do a follow-up, that would start immediately after mm. 2004 or say went from 2004 up to uh, the early 90s and I could do something that would have a, a sort of Levison spin on it um, mm. and explore the explore the, the phone hacking and the improper um, unethical behaviours in journalism. Um, but yeah, um, he was, I think, both he and Sani are, 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 were, <laughs> um, I don't know, are aware, I don't know, do they exist? Who knows? Um, they exist on the page, they exist in my mind. Yeah. Um, where are um, driven people, um, idealistic to the point of being naive, um, mm-hmm. but They've got a good heart, as they say. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I, and I think that kind of comes through for Sani, you know, when she, obviously she gets her doctorate. Um, and then, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, she writes the thing about, you know, the health issues for Surinamese people in, you know, the Netherlands. Um, and I think that showed, you know, that sort of side of her, that, there was a caring aspect there and she wanted to find out more and hopefully be able to find a way of resolving the issues as best as possible. I don't know so much about that. I think it was 
that she was hoping to to use her skills to, to be able to to offer improvement and betterment to mm. people's lives, um, as probably most people do, um, as John himself did as well, mm. because he was an investigative journalist, so he was more driven by let's try and hold truth to power and all those grand things that teenagers seem to hold like a beacon and think, yeah. I'm going to change the world. And when they reach our age, they realise, no, the world's going to change <laughs> Yeah, um, absolutely. I thought as well, um, the, the, the wee kind of twist, you know, where, he, where they go to America and he's at this conference and he meets the Italian journalist who apparently uh, it looks as if they're going to turn his, his career round and in actual fact she's a bit of a double agent as they say <laughs> yeah yeah um that was something that uh, it wasn't there in in the first draft there were so many things that mm. got added on um over the places um at various points and it was just throwing in things like that to to keep the challenges going and to to allow his arc to build up to the point where it did without yeah. wanting to spoil it for anyone who's not mm. made it available at Amazon. Yeah. No, I, I, I think, you know, it, it, it is that twist that books need, you know, because sometimes when you're reading a book, it's, it's going along, you know, it's a nice pace, nothing much really happening, you know, and then suddenly something happens you know, gets thrown into the mix and it turns it slightly, you know, and it keeps the interest going. And for me, I was starting to feel, you know, that, yeah, this is, it's a good book, I'm enjoying it, but, you know, what's really going to happen next? And then they go to to the US to this conference and he meets this journalist. And that was the thing that spun it almost 360 degrees. Interesting that it took you that long to be shaken up because I was hoping that there were various points along the way that I that I definitely used to try and mm-hmm. incite um, incite the characters. So there were various obstacles that um, John faced earlier on in the book. Again, without giving too much away, yeah. where his career development was being challenged in relation to a, a training workshop that he was sitting mm-hmm. on um, and things like that where, where, his, where his own ethics were being challenged in relation to the demands of a job and yeah. I think even even at that point you could see that he was under quite a lot of strain whereas with Sani her um, she her challenges and obstacles were they, they weren't as apparent at that point. Um, her her main goal was really just trying to trying to get into a career that was more meaningful for her. And mm-hmm. She found it to be um, journalism as well. Yeah, I must admit that that was a wee bit of a surprise. Um, you know, but then when I thought about it logically, 
um, I could see that, you know, it had been kind of leading up to that um, because she, you know, there was so much that she did enjoy writing about. And obviously she had, um, you know, written a piece on the, the health issues. Um, it kind of showed, you know, there was something there. Um, and then obviously it turns out that she gets the opportunity. Again, as you say, you don't want to give away too much um, about it, you know, for anybody who's not perhaps read the book. But the, the whole thing with, with John, with the incident you were talking about with the training thing, I suppose I probably maybe just put that off as being, you know, the kind of thing that sometimes happens, you know, when people are in particular occupations and they go on training courses and they're maybe full of enthusiasm. Um, but for some reason, that enthusiasm doesn't get encouraged, you know, and in some instances, a big hammer gets taken to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, what, see, there were so many things that I wanted to try and cover with the book, um, apart from obviously being able to give me the chance to write about it. I've already talked about the, the idea of how the written word communication can underpin relationships, and that's something that I yeah. deliberately and explicitly, although not in a, an extremely direct way, wrote about at the very start of the book, just to mm. give people a sort of a rationale for why I, I chose the particular um, style that I did. And... One of the other things I wanted to do was to say, well, this is a story about two people's lives. Um, it's about a relationship, it's about travel, it's about the wider world, it's about how things are changing, etc., etc. But in amongst all of that, they have their own lives, they have their careers. So, so let's explore how their careers are developing over that mm -hmm. time, because that's something that obviously can define people um, for better or worse, whether it should or should not. And that, that was something that I deliberately wanted to, to look at. So the relationship, but also where are they in terms of their career? How did they fit with that? How does that fit in terms of their, their wants, their needs, their, their ideals? Yeah. yeah. That's something that most people can probably um relate to yeah absolutely i mean one of the things i i i won't say enjoyed but sort of really brought it home was when you're, you're talking about you know in the cafe um and all the people that are smoking you know i, I don't think i have ever been anywhere in the world you know, in an enclosed space where there would be as much cigarette smoke as I have, you know, when I've been over in Holland. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, before the smoking ban came into place, it was it was bloody awful, to be honest. Mm -hmm. um, there was, I, I would, I, I, I cannot ever forget, and it's, can't remember if it's something that I did actually put into the, the book or not, but seeing uh, a guy preparing pancakes in a little porter cabin um, and he was smoking. And I was thinking, this, well, what, what am I going to end up with if there's ash on the, on the pancake? <laughs> is, that, is that why they put so much um, stroke? 
syrup. And yeah, um, people in bars that would serve you, they'd come up with a cigarette in hand or in the mm. mouth. Yeah. yeah it, was, um, it feels like um, a different world now. Um, mm. Yeah, I mean, it, it made me think um, at the time when the smoking ban uh, in Scotland came into force, obviously down in England, it wasn't. And I was living in England at the time. And I always remember the neighbour who was a long distance trucker and he often came up to Scotland. And I had him absolutely convinced that he was going to have to stop at a border post and, you know, they would take off, take away his cigarettes and he'd like, he wouldn't be allowed over the board. <laughs> yeah, um, wouldn't be a bad thing to be honest. Um, yeah, but the smoking is just—that's just a, a small part of the the Netherlands' um, history and culture. And yeah, yeah they, they are. I, I have always found it quite strange that for people who are who appear to be so healthy um that so many of them smoke and what i realized yeah. was that well first of all they're tall probably in part genetically but also because for um generations they've been brought up on cheese um so that helps with bone development and mm-hmm. whatnot else um but they also to a person they go around on bicycles um they don't well, yeah, people do drive, but yeah. by and large, people where we would take the bus, they cycle. Mm. And when you factor that, and you can see how they how they do remain so so thin and apparently healthy, um, despite smoking like chimneys. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> so one of the other things I wanted to kind of touch on um, was obviously. There's a long period when you're writing the book, um, because obviously you know you'll write it and you'll go back and you'll edit it and you'll you know you'll revise it and all that sort of thing. But it took a while to get somebody to to publish the book. Um, was was that really frustrating? Um, I actually didn't get anyone to publish it. This is self-published. All oh, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's. Um, as I said, it's the way that the development of it went, I had about 45,000 words or so, I think, by ooh, early to mid-2019. I started punting it to um, agents um, in the UK and the Netherlands because I thought that would be the two best places to try and find someone and the, the the agents in the UK all came back to a person and said um, look this is interesting reads really well um, however we don't think there's really a market for stories about the Netherlands and the UK mm. okay so I started going to um, Dutch agents and Round about the time that we spoke last in last year, um, in February, I think it was, it was sitting on the table of a, 
a Dutch um, agent um, for quite a while. Um, and there were a, a couple of Dutch agents who, who considered it in depth, but the, the comments that they came back with was, this is really interesting, quite novel, if you pardon the pun. Um, but what they were looking for was something that was a little less, uh, was more nuanced, something that wasn't um, as obviously Dutch, um, mm. if you see where I'm coming from. So yeah. trying to find the balance between having something that was nuanced enough for people to find interesting but also for people who, who didn't have the first idea about the Netherlands trying to mm. um, bring in the relevant information for them to, to be able to read it and understand that was, that was quite a challenge. And yeah. that was yeah. something that, um, that I, I just had to try and find a happy balance with. Um, don't know if it did do, but there you go. Yeah, it, it, I've, I've seen other people, you know, who have written books and they've struggled to get them uh, published and they've gone down the, the route of, you know, publishing them themselves. And I was just really, the question was just really, you know, would it be easier to get it done for yourself ultimately or would it have been easier had it been picked up, you know, by an agent and they had run with it? Um. Again, that's six and a half a dozen. Um, because I self-published, I had the full control of it. I didn't have anyone saying, oh, do that, don't do that, blah, blah, blah. But the buck stopped with me. Mm. Um, so the typos, um, that's my fault. Can't blame it on anyone else. Um, although I, I hope it's historically accurate and I would be close to saying I would bet my bottom dollar that the historical accuracy of it is 99.9% there um, given um, my skills as a researcher. Mm. Um, if I had a publisher um, or an agent, yeah, it would have been easier as well that way because I would have had the feedback, I would have had the input, I would have had someone saying, no, don't do that, do this. Um, I would have had people who would have been able to take responsibility for the commercial side of it, advertising it. Um, so I've not had any advertisement other than just basically plugging it on um on Twitter and sending it to people that I know and telling them about it. So mm. from a commercial point of view, it would have been much easier that way. Um, artistically, it would have been more profitable as well. Um, yeah. 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 Um, no, that, that, that's interesting because, as I said, a lot of people seem to be self-publishing nowadays. Um, you know, I don't know if that's because there are more people writing things and therefore, you know, publishers can be a wee bit more selective um, or if it's just that they've read somewhere or seen a course somewhere where they've been told, you know, pick it up at this point, run with it all the way through, you know, and as you said, you have complete control from beginning to end. Yeah, um, I think that's 
Yeah, yeah. It, um, it works both ways, as I said. Um, it would have been really great if I had someone to be a, a sort of a, a sounding post. Um, mm. And basically the, the little feedback I got was from the people who had actually read it from start to finish and said, well, not nuanced enough for a Dutch market. Um, and yeah, not sure if it would work well in a, a UK market. So I was thinking, well, what the hell do I do with that? Um, <laughs> and at the end of the day, I just thought, do you know what? It was, by that point, it was, as I said, it was about May, June of July of last year. And I just thought, right, I'm going to, this has been lying around for too long. If no one's going to run with it, I'm just going to post it myself. Mm. Um, and it's not going to make any money. Not bothered about that, but if some people find it, read it, and enjoy it, that's great. And there's a small band of a select few, um, more people than have fingers, but less than um, less than I would like who who have read it. And to a person, they've said this is really good. We enjoyed it. Um, and yeah, um, and in particular, there's a, um, a screenwriter in, I don't know where she's based, um, but she's expressed an interest in it, and I, I do believe she bought it and she's reading it. And oh, she right. says that there might be a, a possibility to run with it as a stage play. Whether mm-hmm. anything comes of that, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, listen, we're almost out of time. Um, but what I will say is when we put it up um, on our YouTube channel, um, we, we certainly put links to where, you know, people can get to it. So, you know, anybody that picks it up through the YouTube channel for Indie Live Radio, they will get a link that they can click on that will take them to Amazon, you know, to, to get the book. So... You know, that'll be us doing our wee bit to try and help you, <laughs> you. As, as best we can. But um, hopefully um, you do get the opportunity to to do the follow-up. Um, and if you do, I, I would love to read it um, because well, I enjoyed the first one. That's that's very kind because I, I know you, you left comments yourself um, on... On the Amazon page, um, and one person in particular said they could see it's been a, a Netflix series, um, <laughs> which, which I must admit, um, could possibly be because yeah. it's it's very rich in terms of the, the way that it's been written. It's very rich in um, the character development. The point of view, she said, so mm. you do really get to understand their motives, their drives, um, what's standing in their way, what they want to be doing, what fails, etc., etc. And yeah, that was something that I deliberately, I, I've I've not been trained in in um, in creative writing at all, my, my background has been academic research, so the style of writing that I did, this one person who read it, who knows me, said, 
it's it's much better than the stuff you normally write <laughs> because they find it more accessible. Um, right. Well, thank you. Um, <laughs> and now you can't you can't be doing that laughing towards me, or is it laughing at me? I don't know. Um, laughing with you. <laughs> um. Well, that would be a first. Um. But. I had to sort of change my writing style when it came to to approaching this novel, this this piece of work, this project. And one of the things that really helped me was those, those various different um, YouTube um, people that offer hints and tips on on crafting novels mm-hmm. and whatnot. But there was one in particular, um, lessons from screenplay, who takes films and breaks them down and shows the character development, the different um, the different stages and development of the film, the the arc of the film and the the, the act structure. So one of the things that I was sort of playing with when I started developing it um, was right. I want to do a, a five-act structure, thinking that bloody Shakespeare or someone. <laughs> um, and to be fair, I, I think I have perhaps done that because lessons from screenplay and others talk about if you look at the Marvel films, they're really three-act structures, beginning, middle, end. People are introduced, they face a problem, they overcome it, good triumphs over evil. Hurrah! Um, but I, that really didn't um, appeal to me. I wanted to do something that was much more, that was going to be more complex, that yeah. had various elements and different sort of stages and phases. And having that, trying to fit it into a five-act structure, I think I perhaps got away with it. But actually looking at a five-act structure, if you just ignore the pretentiousness of the idea is basically just a longer version of a three-act structure. Well, we have to leave it there, Donald. Um, I could rabbit on with you for a lot longer, um, but time is running away from me for this uh, Zoom. I was was just warming up. (laughs) Well, we'll maybe get to do it again. Thank you very much for uh, agreeing to have a chat with me and hopefully, you know, everything you wish for with the book uh, comes to being and I might even get the chance to see it on Netflix or something like that. Who knows? But it's been fun. Okay, it's great. Thanks very much for your time. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye.